And if you wouldn't mind standing with me as we uh, read in honor, in honor of the Lord's Word, we read together. And I'll read verses 17 and 18 together. All right, verse number 17. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. All right, let's go ahead and bow in a word of prayer and we'll begin uh, this morning's message. Father, we thank you so much again uh, that we do have your word that we can rely upon and, and look into and, and, um, and Lord, just to, to hold fast to. And I, I, we're going to look at some of that this morning. And I just pray that you would speak to our hearts this morning, Lord, from your word. We need it um, and encourage us. We do love you, and we do thank you, Lord, for your grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, you can be seated. All right. So last week, um, in kind of a little bit of review here, uh, last week we learned that Christians have different things to focus on in their life than what the world focuses on. Uh, the world focuses on the physical, the material things that, that will not last. That's what they look to for their happiness, for things that, that bring them joy. You know, it's... it's Fleeting, it's passing. Um, that's what they, they live for and strive for. But Christians need to focus on eternal things that will not perish. And that is why we are called to walk by faith and not by sight. Uh, see, God knows, though, that we are a visual creation, uh, meaning that um, uh, He has created us with our senses to interact with this world that He's given to us to be able to live in. Uh, and so he, he has created that part of us that is, that is visual. Um, and because of it, God has revealed Himself through His creation because He desires all of mankind to know Him. And last week we learned that uh, God revealed, uh, He reveals the Godhead or the Trinity. Um, we looked at the change salvation brings to a person, uh, which is a new creation, and the infinite of God. We looked at some of those things that God has revealed through His creation. Um, but we also learned three unseen things that all Christians should focus on with their life and hope for. Uh, the first one we looked at was the value of a soul. God gave His best to redeem it. He gave Himself. And uh, that was one thing that we saw that uh, we should all strive for is, is to understand the value of a soul. The second one was future rewards in heaven. Every Christian will stand before Jesus Christ at the judgment seat of Christ and give an account of what they have done with their life after salvation. And lastly, we looked at the new, a new body that we will all someday have. And this is a great promise and one that I believe Paul was looking forward to. Uh, all that he went through, I mean the beatings, the shipwrecks, um, just age, you know. Um, and so he was looking forward to that, that day that he'd be getting a new body. But this morning, I'd like to focus on another of the unseen eternal things of God. And in a sense, it's an and, and also an example in the Bible for us to be able to learn from. Um, I want to focus on the promises of God this morning. Um, so what is a promise? A promise is something far more than just words spoken or written down. It's more than just you know, a conversation. But a promise is something that is a lot more valuable. It is an unseen commitment given from one person to the next. 
And it's right for a person to expect the promise to be performed by the person making it. You know, if I say, and I'm going to do something, or I tell someone I'm going to do something for them, they should expect me to do that, shouldn't they? Um, and, and so this promise is something that is, it's, it's an unseen agreement between two people. That expectation, though, from the other person uh, is what is special and is unique in the commitment. This is where faith and hope come into the picture of a promise given and believing in. Uh, turn with me, if you would, to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse number 1. Hebrews chapter 11, verse number 1, says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And let's jump down to verse number 3. It says, Through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the Word of God, so that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. So when someone gives you a promise, you are in faith expecting them to fulfill that promise, are you not? It's, we can't see it. It's not a tangible thing. Um, and so this morning, I want to focus on some of these, uh, the promises of God that we can focus on, that we can strive for, that we can um, uh, look to in our own lives. See, as we look here at verse number uh, 1 and 3, this is faith defined. Everything that we believe about God has been written down in His Word, in the Bible. But it was. it's not, we don't get our doctrine from different creeds, catechisms, and rules of ecumenical institutions. What we believe, we get from the Bible. That's our, that's our authority. That's, our, that's where we understand who and what God is. See, no one in this room was there when God created the heavens and the earth. No one here was at the foot of the cross when Jesus was crucified, and when He rose from the dead, or when He ascended back up into heaven. Yet we believe it. Why? Because these are all part of God's promises to us. And so we, we have that faith and we believe in what God has said in His Word is true and is accurate and will come to pass. Uh, turn with me, if you would, just a few pages to the right to 2 Peter chapter 3. God has given us many promises through His Word. Now, I'm not going to go through those promises in detail, but just the, the, the fact that He has promised. Um, 2 Peter 3, look at verse number 3. Peter here is, uh, speaks here, he says, Knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers, walking after their own lusts, and saying, Where is the promise of His coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, meaning they died, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. For this they willingly are ignorant of, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water and in, and in the water, whereby the world that then was being overflowed with water perished. Talk about the great flood. Uh, verse 7, But the heavens and the earth, which are now, by the same word are kept in store. I mean, they're, they're being preserved. They're reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. Meaning there's going to be a judgment time coming for 
those who are lost and those who are ungodly. Uh, verse number 8, But beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all come, or all, all should come to repentance. See, Peter here is warning that there would be scoffers against the promises of God because they're ignorant of who God is. Um, you know, they don't realize that, look, God has reserved this earth for judgment one day. The people that are lost, that, that have turned their back on God and want nothing to do with God, they will be judged one day. And uh, though it seems like, you know, um, you know, God gave His promise that He's going to return uh, to His disciples, and they were to keep on uh, preaching and, and reaching this world, and they lived their life expecting Jesus to come back. And they all died, didn't they? Jesus hasn't come back yet. So does that mean that their promises were not right? That were not effectual? That they, they didn't happen? No. God's timetable is far different than ours. And so here, as we look here, uh, God's day is a little bit longer than ours is. And, um, and so it will come to pass, it will happen, but in God's timing, not in our timing. The Bible says that when Jesus comes back, it's going to be coming as a thief in the night. No one's going to know when he's going to come. It's going to happen uh, in, a, in a flash of lightning, basically, in a twinkling of an eye. Um, and so uh, he is going to return. So how... When we, when we think about these things and we, we look at our own salvation that, we, that, we're, uh, that, that God promises to keep us, keep our salvation, how can we trust the Bible and God's Word then? You know, how can we? Why, why should we trust the Bible? Why should we trust these promises that God has given to us? And uh, this is the, the, kind of the focus this morning that I want to, to share with you. Let me get back up here. Um, first of all, and probably the, the most comforting fact, is that God cannot lie. He cannot lie. Go with me, if you would, to Titus, a few, just a couple of books to the left. Um, you'll go past Hebrews, and you'll see um, Philemon, and Titus is right after that. But look at Titus chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. Paul here writes, he says, Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect and the acknowledging of the truth which is after godliness, in hope of eternal life, which God, that cannot lie, promised before the world began, but hath in due times manifested his word through preaching, which is committed unto me according to the commandment of God our Savior. So what our responsibility is as a pastor, as a preacher, is to proclaim the promises that God has given to us so that we, so the people can hear them and understand them and, and know them. And, uh, and God has not, He cannot lie. He has not lied. Uh, Psalm 33.4 says, For the word of the Lord is right, and all of His works are done in truth. Psalm 119, verses 142 and 151 Say, Thy righteousness is an everlasting righteousness, and Thy law is the truth. Thou art near, O Lord, and all Thy commandments 
our truth. John 17, 17. This is Jesus praying uh, for His disciples and, and those who would come after them, so to speak. And He says, Sanctify them through Thy truth. Thy Word is truth. You know, we live in a world today that people don't know what, what truth is. It's relative. And, uh, and that was a, a mentality and a, and a philosophy that began back in the Greeks. They call it relativism. That truth is what true is for you, oh, that's, that's, that's for you. But someone else could believe something else, and oh, that's true for them. They didn't have a, um, a sole authority of what was right and wrong. And that's what God has given to us. He's given to us His book, which is the sole authority, and saying this is right and this is wrong. And I'm glad that we can go back to it because, look, God's Word never changes. He's never going to change His mind about something. If He said it back in the Old Testament, uh, it, it doesn't mean He's going to change His mind just because of the New Testament. Now, um, uh, let's go to Hebrews chapter 6, a couple pages again to the right here from Titus, and uh, look at verse number 17. Imagine how frustrating it would be if laws changed all the time. Um, now, I have no disrespect for, for the things here in Ireland. I really have, but it seems like every single time we go to immigration to renew, there's different policies, there's different laws, different requirements. And so it's, it's frustrating. Do I have everything this time? Do I, do I need something else this time? You know, and, and it gets frustrating. You know, and can you imagine if God changed things? You know, oh yeah, before you had to, to trust in, in Jesus Christ alone for salvation, it's all by faith. But then what if someone says, no, 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 you have to do something else now? And then they keep on adding to the list and keep on adding to the list. And pretty soon you're like, well, what, what do I have to do now? That's what people have done. That's what people have done for, to understand salvation. Rather than going back to the foundation, which is God's Word, they instead add to things. But look at Hebrews chapter 6, verse number 17. It says, Wherein God, willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of promise the immutability of His counsel, confirmed it by an oath, that by two immutable things, meaning things that, that can't be changed, in which it was impossible for God to lie, we might have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us, which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which entereth into that within the veil. See, God has given us His Word, His promises, and we can trust in them. We can rely upon them. We can understand that, look, God's not going to change His mind about how to get into heaven. You know, He did it all. That's why when Jesus was on the cross and He said, it is finished, meaning it's a done deal. You know, nothing else is going to have to be added to. It's not going to be changed. Um, you know, and I'm so thankful for that because, look, it gives us surety. It gives us something that we can plan for and have hope for. But not only God cannot lie, but God made His promise to the seed of Abraham and to us through Christ. Turn with me, if you would, to Galatians chapter 3. Galatians 
just a couple books to the left. Galatians 3.16 says, Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He saith not unto seeds, as of many, but as of one, and to thy seed, which is Christ. So when the promises were made to Abraham, that there was going to be a Redeemer, that, that uh, one day all nations will be blessed because of his, of, of his children, and talking about Christ, um, that promise was given to Abraham. And it wasn't saying, you know, and, and it was to his line through Isaac. And he didn't say to his, to his seeds, meaning that there was going to be different promises to different people. But it was going to be gone through that line and ultimately to Christ. And because it's to Christ and through Christ, we who are born again have been grafted in. We've been adopted into God's family. And so we are inheritant to the promises that God gave to Abraham uh, for salvation, for eternal life, um, you know, to, for him to be our God. That's promises that he made to Abraham. And yet, we get to get into that. We get to be a part of that. And, um, and so that's, that's a great truth that we can rely upon that. Look, because I'm a born-again Christian, because I've put my, my faith and trust in Christ, I'm now a part of God's family. And God, the promises that God made to my adopted great-great-great-great-great, a lot of different great-grandfather, you know, I get to inherit as well. And you, as, and you do too. Um, but not only does God, who made his promise to the seed of Abraham and to us through Christ, but also one, another great truth is that God will never forsake you. He will never forsake you. Turn with me back again to Hebrews 13.5. It says, let your conversation be without covetousness, and be content with such things as ye have. For he has said, talking about God, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. I'm glad that God's never going to turn his back on me. That he's never going to, you know, disannul his promises because of something that I may have done. That he is faithful. That he will, um, he will be there for you whenever you need him. When, you, when you're going through that dark valley, He's there. He doesn't just let you wander astray and say, well, good luck, have fun, you know, tell me, you know, I'll see you when you get on the other side maybe. You know, He goes with you through the entire, the entire journey. He doesn't abandon His children. And um, He's never going to abandon His promises to you either. That's why we can trust in the promises of God. Because first of all, He cannot lie. His promises were given to us and because God will never forsake you. See, we have the blessing of reading the promises that God made to believers. And when a promise is written down, it commits greater authority and integrity to what is spoken. For example, when a couple speak their wedding vows, they then sign their marriage license, committing themselves to what they had just promised to their spouse. I mean, there's a reason why they sign the marriage license. Not just because it's just a piece of paper. 
but it's actually they're now putting their commitment, everything, to their signature, saying, you know what, I am going to stand behind what I just said. You know, and that is what God's word is to us. He said, I, I'm giving you my word, and I'm putting my seal of authority behind it, and I will do what I have promised. I will, I will fulfill what I have said and what I have spoken to you. So we, we can trust and rely upon his promises. But what about being able to trust God when his written word wasn't established yet? Let's go ahead and take a look at a man who did. Uh, turn with me to Hebrews chapter 11. Look at a biblical example. Hebrews chapter 11, verse number 8. By faith, Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should after receive for an inheritance, obeyed. And he went out, not knowing whither he went. By faith, he sojourned in the land of promise, as in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, and heirs with him of the same promise. For he looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Through faith also Sarah herself received strength to conceive seed, and was delivered of a child when she was past age, because she judged him faithful who had promised. Therefore sprang there even of one, and him as good as dead, so many as the stars of the sky in multitude, and as the sand which is by the seashore innumerable. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, and were persuaded of them, and embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For they that say such things declare plainly that they, that they seek a country. And truly, if they had been mindful of that country from whence they came out, they might have had opportunity to have returned. So they said they might have, you know, if they thought more of the, where they came from, they would have returned to there rather than trusting in, in God. Um, verse number 16. But now they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly. Wherefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he hath prepared for them a city. By faith Abraham, when he was tried, offered up Isaac, and he that had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was called, or whom was said, that in Isaac shall thy seed be called. Uh, in verse number 19, accounting that God was able to raise him up even from the dead, from whence also he received him in a figure. So we're going to look at a little bit here with Abraham. See, Abraham, as we looked here in, the, the, in verse number 8 up until about uh, 16, Abraham was called out to, to leave the land of Ur to go to a place where God had promised him that one day he was going to inherit with his children. Uh, and so Abraham's focus was on the unseen things of God, especially his promises. He believed that God would be true to what he had spoken to Abraham. See, God made some pretty amazing and unbelievable promises to Abraham. Uh, first of all, he promised that he would have an inheritance, that he would have uh, a child with his wife to give it to. And this was given to him when he was a 75-year-old man, 
and his wife being 65. So God is telling him, saying, look, you're going to have a child. Even though you're 75 years old, your wife is well past the age of being able to bear children, but you will have a child. For Abraham to have the faith that he did and say, and believe God, took a lot, didn't it? That he would leave his family, leave everything behind, and trust God, and say, Lord, I may not understand where you're directing me. He didn't know where, uh, where the land was, so he just kept on walking until God said, okay, stop. Uh, this is the area that this is the land I'm going to give to you and your posterity. And he trusted in those promises. A great illustration that he just trusted God. But Abraham still was human and had flesh that he battled with just like you and me. And there's at least four times that the Bible records him losing his focus on the promises of God and instead focusing upon the temporal and it didn't end well. See, our verse this morning is, is that we're learning about uh, this month as well is that for us to have the right focus, to focus on the things of et- that are eternal, not on the temporal, not on the temporary. And, uh, and as we go through life, sometimes it's easy to let our focus slip. You know, rather than focusing on what God has for us, we kind of turn our eyes around to see what, what's around. You know, what is the world offering me? And I believe there's four times that Abraham did that. And the four times that he lost his focus caused big problems in his life. The first one was going to Egypt to escape the famine, even though God never told him to go there. See, when the famine came into where he was at there in Canaan, uh, rather than saying, Lord, what should I do? He, ran, he went to Egypt because there they, were, they had food. And sadly, we don't know, but it's possible that's where he picked up Hagar because she was an Egyptian. Uh, the second time was he deceived Pharaoh because he was afraid of being killed. And he ended up tarnishing his reputation there because he deceived everyone. So the fact where Pharaoh rebuked him, you know, it, it tarnished his reputation. He was more concerned about himself he, and he lost his focus on, okay, God, um, I'm going to trust you to, to keep me safe. Instead, he tried to deceive everyone, saying, well, no, no, she's just my sister. She's not my wife. She's just my sister. And trying to, 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 to get away with, with um, you know, not having any kind of persecution, or he, he just was focused on himself. The third time was is he let Sarah convince him to have a child outside of what God promised to him, she gave him Hagar to be his wife. And of course, we know that Hagar conceived Ishmael, which Israel is still being persecuted by, still having problems with. See, he took his focus off, okay, God, you told me that Sarah's going to have a child. Okay? Um, then when Sarah comes up and says, well, how about you have Hagar, my handmaid, for a wife, and, and we'll have children through her. He took his focus off of God's and his promise and said, Oh, yeah, that sounds actually like a pretty good idea. And it had disastrous consequences. He took his focus off. Later, he deceived Abimelech, king of Gerar, because, again, he was afraid that he would be killed. He didn't learn his lesson last time when he was with Pharaoh. He did the same thing to Abimelech. 
And in the end, Sarah ended up being the one getting reproved by Abimelech because she went along with Abraham's deceit. All, every single time, in each of these times, he turned his focus from God and God's promises to focusing on himself and his own desires and his fears. And you better believe it, the devil will cap- capitalize on it. As soon as we, learn, we take our focus on, off of God and turn it to ourselves, and what we think is best and what the world is offering, the devil is going to jump on that and he's going to, he's going to throw some things at you that are going to be quite tempting because he knows that there's some consequences that aren't pleasant. See, walking by faith is a struggle and sometimes it can be a very difficult one. And there are times that, we're, that we all make mistakes. No one in here is, is perfect. We've all had times where we maybe we have failed we have stumbled. We have done some things that, that uh, really were not good. But the thing is, though, is that Abraham did not let those mistakes define who he was. And God did not abandon him when he did stumble and fall. You know, we don't look at Abraham as thinking of, oh, man, Abraham was a great failure. Man, he had so much and he just blew it. No, when we think of Abraham, what do we think about? His great faith, don't we? We think of, man, he trusted God. Abraham is still one of the greatest illustrations of someone walking by faith and trusting God's Word and waiting for God to do the impossible. You see, Proverbs 24.16 says, For a just man falleth seven times and riseth up again. There's more to it, but I just want to focus on that. You see, the just man doesn't let the fall stop him from getting back up and putting his focus back on the Lord. But look, he's going to have to deal with the consequences of falling down. I mean, you know, you fall down in the, in the road, you're going to skin up your knees, aren't you? I've had that happen to me. It wasn't a, ple- it wasn't a pleasant experience. Uh, my knees were all bloody and tore up for several days afterwards because I fell. And whenever we trip and whenever we stumble and whenever we fall, there's going to probably be some consequences. But don't let those consequences keep you down. Instead, that just man, he learns to accept them and move on, get back up, rather than letting it defeat and destroy him. Um, you know, I could have had those skinned up knees and said, you know what, I'm not, I'm not walking again. Nope. You know, this, this walking thing is for the birds. Um, you know, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to fall again. I don't want to fall. And I could live the rest of my life in fear of doing what God wanted, not doing what God wanted me to do because I was afraid of getting my, my, my shins hurt again. Now, it seems silly to a degree, but God wants to use you to reach this world with the gospel. He wants you to, be, to, to have a relationship with Him. And sometimes we fall and we fail. And, we, and, and as we're laying down on the ground, we say, Lord, you're done with me. I can't do anything again. And we don't get back up. And we don't continue to serve the Lord because we stumbled. But God wants us to get back up. You know what? It might take a little bit of time to heal. And then to get to put our focus back on Him and trust in Him to keep leading us to the paths that we should do. It should be a learning experience. See, Abraham learned from those Abraham learned to trust God through his trials. 
even when God asked him to do the impossible. Look at verse number 17 again. By faith, Abraham, when he was tried, offered up Isaac, and he that had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said that in Isaac shall thy seed be called, accounting that God was able to raise him up even from the dead, from whence also he received him in a figure. I mean, can you imagine? God has given you his promise. Abraham has Isaac. He is 100 years old. Sarah is 90 years old. And then about 12, 15 years later, he then says, okay, I want you to now sacrifice your son to me. And Abraham does it in his heart. Meaning, when God said, Abraham, I want you to, to sacrifice your son, he had learned to trust God by now. All the, the stumbling that we had just looked at, that had, those were all previous to this time. And he looked at what God has said, said, okay, God, if that is what you want, I'll do it. And so, as we look here, he, you know, even Isaac, Isaac is trusting his father here. I mean, he's not just a, a little child. I mean, he's about 15 years old. You know, he probably could overwhelm a 115-year-old man, you know. And when he asks his father, saying, you know, Father, we have the wood, we have the fire. Where's the lamb? Where's it at? And when Abraham asks him and puts him on that altar, Isaac is is probably not just thinking, oh, I wonder what's going to happen now. He knows what his dad's going to do. And yet he trusts his father. He trusts his dad. And as Abraham was about ready to, to plunge the dagger into his son's heart, that's when God intervened and said, I don't want this, to, you know, hold on. You know, I, I want to see if, if you really were believing me, if you really were trusting me if you really trusted my promises to you. And as he, you see, Abraham in his mind, as you look at verse number 19, Abraham thought, well, if I sacrifice him, God is going to raise him from the dead. Because he, he made a promise to me that in and through Isaac will my seed will continue. And so he, he believed that, you know, even if, some, if, it were, if he went through with it, that God would still bring him back to life and the promise would continue. Now, God wasn't condoning or even wanting human sacrifice. That had nothing to do with it. He was testing Abraham's faith, his, his trust in him. And that's where the, the test was. Um, this morning, if you've fallen recently, and if you feel like such a failure, get back up, Put your focus back on Christ, back on His promises, because God will never abandon you and break His promise to you. See, this morning, if you're God's child and you have been born again, God will, like a master craftsman, continue to work on your imperfections and make you more like Christ. See, Philippians 1.6 says, Being confident of this very thing, that He which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. The Bible doesn't say might. He says He will. He'll keep working on you. 
you know, as you continue to follow him and trust him, he'll keep helping you and strengthening you and, and chipping away at you sometimes, getting the, the rough edges off and, and making you more like Christ. And you also cannot lose your salvation because it isn't dependent upon your righteousness. It is Christ's righteousness and he is the one who holds you in his hands. And according to Romans 8, 35 through 39, nothing can separate you from Christ. The devil can't. Uh, nothing can separate you. You are secure in Christ because He has promised to you. And so this morning, just as a conclusion, we looked at an eternal truth that we can focus upon and trust in, God's promises. Uh, there are promises that God has given to you and I they haven't happened yet. And this is where faith, trust, and hope are so important. See, he's, he's promised to come back, hasn't he? He hasn't done it yet. But we're still supposed to trust him in, in his promise that, you know what, one day he's going he's gonna to come back. You know, uh, we have that, that hope that he's up there building a mansion for us. You know, um, that we have a home in heaven. We're not there yet, are we? But one day we will be. And that is something that we can hope in and have faith in. See, it's easy to lose our focus on the unseen things of God because we live in a physical world that bombards us daily with unrighteous things and temporal desires and temptations. So how do you know what promises that God has made to you? Do they come from an angel in a dream at night or from a deceased loved one? You have a vision of them telling you uh, uh, that God's going to do something? God's promises are found in one place, His Word. And His promises will never conflict what His Word says. So if you have a dream at night and it tells you that Jesus is going to come back tomorrow, don't believe it. Don't believe it. Because nobody knows the day, hour, or time when Jesus Christ is coming back. To learn what the promises that God has given to you are, you need to read His Word and study it. I mean, I don't know about you, maybe I'm just unique, maybe I'm just kind of weird, but whenever I get an insurance policy, you know, every year I have to renew my, my insurance, I don't just, okay, take it and just sign it, okay? What do I do? I read through it, don't you? Because I want to know, what are they promising me? What are they promising to cover? What are they promising to do in certain situations? You know, I go through it so I know, okay, so this happens, I get this. Or if this happens, I need to do this. You know, and so if I take that much diligence for my health insurance, or my, you know, why don't I do the same thing with God's Word? See, God has given us promises, and we say, oh, great, but we don't search for what those promises are. We don't, you know, we don't look for them. We don't read for them, and we don't... Um, Remind God, say, God, you know, you promise in your word that uh, if this happens, that, that, this, that you'll be there, you know, or that, you know. And so we need to, to read God's word just like we would for anything else, for any other to know we, what we're getting ourselves involved in. Now, not all of God's promises are for every person. Some were given just to the Jews in that certain time periods. And that's where you need to understand rightly dividing the word of truth, different dispensations. Um, so there might be some promises that God has said, you know what, this is just to the Jews for this time period. Um, you know, or it might be to the Jews in the future time period. 
Uh, you have to understand Scripture to understand those promises. That's why it's important to study Scripture. See, God has even made promises to those who are not Christians. One of them is that they will stand before God and be judged upon their name not being in the Lamb's book of life. Because if it is not, then they will be cast into the lake of fire. He promised it. And it said, and if your name is not found in that Lamb's book of life, he said, this is where you will go. It's not a may, it's not a maybe, it's not, oh, well, you know what, I'm going to change my mind on that. No, if you are not saved, if you're not born again, um, you will one day stand before God and give account whether or why your name is not in that Lamb's book of life. And you will be cast in the lake of fire. So this morning, I want to ask you, do you have eternal life this morning? Because it is only promised to those who are born-again Christians. If you have never repented of your sin and turned to Christ alone for salvation, then you do not have eternal life. There are requirements, there's conditions to be able to have eternal life. And because you, if you're not meeting those, requ those requirements, you are on your way to hell and you will not go to heaven or purgatory or anything else that uh, people may believe in. So if you're not saved this morning and know that your sin has been forgiven, what's stopping you from having eternal life? What's stopping you from having your sins forgiven and a home in heaven? And also, if you've fallen recently and you feel like such a failure, can I encourage you to get back up, put your focus back upon Christ and His promises? Being in church is a good place to start. It's a good step forward. If you need to spend time with the Lord this morning, talk with Him while we stand and sing our closing hymn. Go ahead and stand together. Page number 257. If you need to spend time with the Lord this morning, doesn't won't bother me one bit if you're not singing. I'd rather you spend time with the Lord if God has spoken to your heart.